Freedom fighters, freedom lovers, and those who just want stuff for free. It's me, Mr. Palumbo, and welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast. You know, the heat is definitely up here in sunny Las Vegas, which tells me that summer is in full swing. Summer for me is going to go fast. I'm a bit busy this year. I have a lot of courses I have to take for my uh, renewing my teaching certification. Who decides these courses, you might ask? Well, they sure aren't educators, that's for sure. But that's possibly for a different podcast. You know, we're in this mode in society where everyone thinks, hey, let's just come up with another law. Let's come up with another rule. Let's come up with another regulation. You know, passing a law is going to change things. You know, I need to pass a law. And that creates, did you know passing more laws creates more criminals? What? That's right. I remember hearing a stat once that said the average American breaks at least three laws a day without even knowing it. That's crazy. The land of the free, right? Anyways, happy Monday, everyone. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcast and give the show a five-star rating. That's a surefire way to get the podcast more notice and notoriety, if you will. I appreciate those of you who have taken the time to contact me and offer me feedback. That really helps me as I navigate this podcast thing. Also, you homeschoolers and fellow educators out there, please go to TeachersPayTeachers.com and check out Professor Liberty's Lessons and Activities. Designed by me. A lot of the stuff you might have already heard if you followed every podcast. You might have already heard some of the material uh, here. But if you'd like to use them in your classroom or at your home, please check it out there. All right. So yesterday was June 6th, which is now the 77th anniversary of the Allied D-Day invasion, which is the starting point of the Nazi demise and the retaking of Europe. Now, I feel obligated at some point, every June at least, to talk about D-Day because, fun fact, D-Day is the first topic upon which Professor Liberty was born. It was early June, I was out of school, and Professor Liberty was born, and the first video we ever produced was on D-Day. You can go check it out, it's the first video. It's pretty crude. It's not very long. It's a basic video. It does have cool music from blues guitarist Joe Badamasa, however. So if you like that, please check it out. But that was the first Professor Liberty video. I don't even think there were lessons yet. I think I was just bored and I wanted to do something and it happened to be the week of D-Day. So I said, what the heck? That is something that all Americans should know about. And so we did something on that. So today I'd like to just discuss something a little different. We're going to discuss General Eisenhower, the man, and why his appointment as Supreme Commander was the right one. And so we will talk about that in the context of D-Day. So today's episode is entitled Eisenhower and D-Day. Dwight D. Eisenhower was born on October 14, 1891 in Denson, Texas. But he grew up in Kansas. You know, it's funny. I recently just learned that he was born in Texas. I was looking something up. Man, I would have bet the farm that he was from Kansas. So you never know, folks. You got to make sure you know what you're talking about. But yeah, so I just recently learned that he was from Texas. 
Anyway, after high school, Eisenhower enrolled into West Point, the U.S. Army Academy, and he performed kind of right in the middle, somewhere right in the middle, something uh, that would that's going to be the development of our theme for today is Eisenhower was a good guy in the middle, moderation. Uh, for example, academically, he ranked about 60th in the class of 164th, so that's, you know, that's not too bad, you know, the top half. But in discipline, he was kind of more at the bottom. For most of his military career, he didn't make too many waves. Before and after World War I, he was slowly moving up the ranks. He served in places like Panama and the Philippines. But by the time World War II officially began, Eisenhower was a full bird colonel. Now, that's 1941. By 1943, he's going uh, to be a general. So he's, after 41, he's going to really get the wheels moving. Eisenhower wasn't this flamboyant guy like MacArthur, who was kind of a celebrity, right? And he wasn't this outwardly aggressive guy like General Patton. Again, in his early days at West Point, what caused Ike to stand out was his moderation. Everyone kind of liked him. He could get along with everyone. Well, it was his moderation and his skills, his planning and logistical skills, his organizational skills and abilities caught the eye of Chief of Staff George C. Marshall. When the United States entered the war in 1941, Marshall appointed Eisenhower to the Army Planning Division in Washington, D.C. He was also promoted to Brigadier General. Ike would soon be appointed by General Marshall as Supreme Commander of Allied Forces. Boy, think of that as a title. No pressure. Britannica.com explains it this way. Marshall selected Eisenhower over 300 senior officers to be commander of U.S. troops in Europe. Eisenhower's rapid advancement after a long Army career spent in relative obscurity was due not only to his knowledge of military strategy and talent for organization, but also to his ability to persuade, mediate, and get along with others. Men from a variety of backgrounds— Impressed by his friendliness, humility, and persistent optimism, liked and trusted him. A phrase that later became one of the most famous campaign slogans in American history seemed to reflect the impression of everyone who met him. I like Ike, unquote. I really like how this is set up. You see, boys and girls, guts, courage, and even skill only get you so far. Of course, those things are important and they serve a purpose. And yes, they will help you succeed. But there's something else just as important, if not more so. Character, humility, and even to some degree moderation. You know, the loudmouths and the provocateurs are always the ones getting all the attention. But often it's the quiet guys and gals in the corner, not seeking fame and fortune, getting the real work done. This could have been a lesson our previous president, Mr. Donald Trump, might have benefited from. Many of his policies were benefiting the nation, but he could never seem able to close his mouth. He could never seem able to, to, to make him make the headlines about him. And ultimately, I think that turned a lot of people off. Sometimes when you go into the gutter with your enemies, it's different. It's difficult to come out clean. You know, if you throw garbage at each other, no one's going to come out smelling clean. 
So I think Eisenhower's character and his skills are what caused Marshall, as well as others, to choose him over so many other qualified candidates. All right, so let's get into the D-Day invasion. Well, actually, before we start there, let's start at Operation Torch, which was the Allied invasion of North Africa. And this began with an amphibious assault, as well as the invasion of Italy, which is also going to be an amphibious assault, and it's going to lead to the fall of Rome in June of 1944. Both of these operations were crucial as a practice for Operation Overlord, which was the official code name of the invasion of northern France, otherwise known as Normandy. Here's the thing about the invasions of North Africa and Sicily. Eisenhower was against them. He thought Normandy was a better option, but he had to get the British on board. The invasion of northern Africa as well as Sicily bolstered British and French confidence, and in the end, they eventually signed off on Operation Overlord. Historian William Hitchcock explains it this way. Eisenhower is also the guy who has to generate a sense of purpose and unity and optimism. Even though he doesn't believe in the strategy that he has been given, so he's talking about Operation Torch, which is to go into North Africa first and then fight in Italy and then eventually we'll go into France. At every stage, he says it's a terrible idea, but he does it anyway. And this is really important part of his biography, dealing with failure, unquote. So as we said a little mo- a moment ago, the previous smaller invasions helped set up the D-Day invasion, which was massive. You guys, I mean it was humongous. Think of any word that you can think of and the size. It probably just doesn't do the job defining how big this uh, operation was. And we'll, we'll get into that in a, in, in a sec. But Britannica.com paints the scene this way. On June 6, 1944, Eisenhower gambled on a break in bad weather and gave the order to launch the Normandy invasion, the largest amphibious attack in history. On D-Day, more than 156,000 troops landed in Normandy. Invading Allied forces eventually numbered a million and began to fight their way back into the heart of France. According to History.com, Operation Overlord combined the forces of British, U.S., and Canadian troops, almost 7,000 ships and landing vessels, and 2,300 aircraft, as well as almost 900 gliders that delivered airborne troops. The orchestrating an invasion of this size was a monumental task. Hitchcock writes, the biggest part of this gigantic naval operation was 6,000 boats of various kinds. They all have to be fueled and staged and get out of the English Channel and marshaled a few miles off the coast of France. And then they have to carry their soldiers onto a defended beachhead all at the same time. That dimension alone is enormous. The night before the invasion, Eisenhower penned two letters. One was an order of what's called an order of the day, which became the official battle cry of the operation. And it read in part, soldiers, sailors and airmen of the Allied Expedientiary Force, you are about to embark on a great crusade 
of which we've striven this many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. If you're interested in learning more about this, you can check it out. I have a lesson, a primary source, a lesson on this at TeachersPayTeachers.com. Ike wrote another letter, however, and one that's not really as well known. It was one written just in case the operation failed. And it reads, Our landing in the Scherzburg Javier area have failed to gain satisfactory foothold, and I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based on the best information available. The troops, the air, and the Navy did that all bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to this attempt, it is mine alone. Eisenhower wrote this, what became known as the just-in-case letter, under great stress, so much so that he even misdated the hastily written note He dated it July 5th instead of June 5th. Journalist David Zacchuno, a writer for the L.A. Times, mentions that the second sentence of the just-in-case letter originally began this particular operation, but Eisenhower switched it to a more personal, my decision to attack. After writing the just-in-case letter, Eisenhower tucked it into his wallet and forgot about it. Only a few weeks later, when he came across it, did he show it to an aide, and this just-in-case letter is now securely preserved at the Eisenhower Presidential Library. Now, we all know what happened. The invasion was a resounding success, but it took great planning, patience, and leadership to make it happen. It took organizational skills and the ability to mediate between hotheads and differing opinions. And Dwight Eisenhower was just the man for that job. So in closing, let's continue to remember the brave souls who stormed the beaches of Normandy. But let's also remember the leaders, the men of integrity and courage who spent many sleepless nights planning and replanning. They need, we need good leaders in the world, boys and girls, especially in a world filled with evil people. We need good people, people of character to outmatch the bad people, the evil people. Val Loiter, in his article D-Day and General Eisenhower's Greatest Decision, writes it this way. Generals don't usually see the troops off. It's not like mom and dad saying goodbye to Johnny at camp or college. But there's I, there Ike was, at the airfield on the eve of D-Day, chatting it up with his soldiers. The paratroopers were about to board the plane that would drop them over occupied France in the dead of night, hours before the D-Day landings on the beach. And Ike was there to see them off, chatting, asking questions, seeing if anybody there was from Kansas, his home state. Later, the planes lifted off. His drivers saw tears in Ike's eyes. You know, we all know why Ike had tears in his eyes. He was the man that gave the order for this operation, and he knew many of these men were not coming back. But he, this is what leadership is, boys and girls. Leadership is making the hard decisions, and leadership is accepting responsibility. And Ike showed both of those characteristics as leader. So it's no surprise that the American public saw Ike's worth and uh, he won very big elections 
as president, and his leadership skills helped the United States in the emerging Cold War that would follow World War II. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcast. If you'd like to email the show, come on, guys. I need some, I need some mailbag subjects. I need some mailbag topics. So please email me. Shoot me a message. Shoot, shoot me a text. Shoot me a private message. Whatever we do now, I don't know. The email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.